Well, let me give you another opportunity to proclaim with me. Christ is risen. Amen. Such a joy to be with you today, and I'm so appreciative of all you who have participated already in the services and beforehand, uh, and the, the great joy we share reflective of the, the joy at the heart of the gospel that we're talking about today. I appreciated Brother Terry's talk this morning. He literally touched on every theme you can talk about on Easter, so here I am trying not to be redundant after that message, uh, but it was a great message. There may be a little bit of overlap. Uh, what would they have done differently if they had only known? And by that, I'm, I mean everyone around Jesus. His disciples were running and hiding. The Sanhedrin was condemning him. Peter was denying him. Judas was betraying him. The soldiers were mocking him. Pilate was sentencing him to death. None of them knew what was possible. And what would they have done differently if they had only known? There's a well-known pastor and, and a Christian writer in New York City named Tim Keller. Love this guy. does great work. And I heard him talking one time about reading the work of N.T. Wright. You guys have heard me mention N.T. Wright here before. He's a famous Bible scholar. He wrote a big 800-page book on the resurrection of Jesus. And Keller said that he read through that book. And you know, he, you know, he's been a pastor for a long time and been a follower of Jesus for a long time. But he said he read through that book and he got to the end of it. And he said, oh, my goodness, this really happened. It's not that he hadn't believed it before, but in a new way he had come to see, that's really true. I want to invite you this morning to step in deeper into the resurrection faith. And I want to invite you this morning to believe again that it's really true. Have you ever had a moment where you've arrived and said, oh my goodness, that really happened? And what might you do differently? If you really believe that, what might we be doing differently if we actually knew what's possible? I want to invite you to consider that some things might be different for us even today, even this week, if we believe that's true. So let me just remind you of the, the, the text that Steve beautifully led us in earlier. You've got the Marys coming to the tomb. The Marys in the Gospels are kind of like the Terrys at this church. You just have several of them. It rhymes even. Don't worry about getting them sorted out. The thing is, they were devout. They kept the Sabbath even in their darkest hour. And here they are coming as soon as they can, coming to the tomb, coming to, to check on the body of Jesus, to, to bring spices and things like that. And on their way, they are filled with uh, probably just deep, deep grief and sadness. This is their spirit as they come. They arrive at the tomb, and we find out something has already happened. And then we get a little bit of backstory, Because while the guards were there early on that Sunday morning, an earthquake shook the ground, and an angel appeared and rolled away the stone, and then he sat on it. 
What, you know, body language experts will analyze all kinds of things that we do with our bodies and, and come to conclusions about the way we feel. You know, for example, if you're doing this, that says something, doesn't it? Right. And we could go through all kinds of body postures. What does it say if in the presence of highly trained soldiers, you sit down? <laughs> not, not just that, you sit on the stone, they're supposed to be watching and guarding. It says, I'm not worried about you. And there's this beautiful phrase um, that if Matthew didn't intend it, then I think the Holy Spirit has put, us, put it there for us to marvel at, uh, for us to receive amusement from. Here it is right here. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Terry talked about that this morning for just a minute. What's interesting about that to me is that they are here in a tomb, at a tomb in a graveyard. And the only person who seems to be dead, the only people who seem to be dead, are the people who are put there to make sure the dead man stays dead. <laughs> and now they seem like they're dead because they're so afraid, because they've encountered the glory and power of God in this angel. And there's nothing that they can do about it. Notice that uh, the angel came and he rolled away the stone, but he didn't do it to let Jesus out. Because that's not what I think he did. It's not like Jesus rose from the grave and he was banging on the door, you know. Let me out of here. <laughs> I'm sure God, when he raised him from the dead, could easily get him out of the, the tomb. The angel came and rolled away that stone so people would know. And so that people could be invited in to see. See, that's what he says. The women show up and he says, I know, don't be afraid. You're here, but you're seeking Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Come and see the place where he laid. And he invites somebody to see. See, that's what he was doing. He was inviting them to come and recognize what had happened, to be sure of it. And I wonder what it was that they saw there. You know, come and see the place. I mean, for one thing, they could just see that it was empty. Okay, that maybe that was all it was. I also wonder if they could see the blood on the ground that had bled through his garments, the burial garments. Whatever it is, they come inside and they, and they see where Jesus had laid. I, I think about the burial. It's not something we talk about much of the burial. It's kind of, we just go, go past that. You know, it's the death and the resurrection. But the burial uh, it strikes me. There, there's the song, the old song, uh, Were You There? Y'all know that song, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? Yeah. And uh, one rendition of this song says, Were you there when they laid his body in the tomb? I mean, that's one verse of the song. One rendition always gets my attention because they say, Were you there when they laid his precious body in the tomb? And it just strikes me to think about that body, this immensely valuable body, this body of the Lord Jesus is being laid in the tomb. Can you go there? I want to invite you to go there in your mind to see that body laid in the tomb. And I want to invite you then to come with the women this morning and see the empty tomb, to step in deeper and to recognize what God has done, to recognize that it was not there on Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, and it's still not there. The angel 
speaks to these women, says, he's not here, he's risen. Come see where he lay. And then he tells them, go quickly now and tell his disciples what has happened and that they can meet me in Galilee. And then we get this verse here. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Now, I want to just pause here and spend a little bit of the time this morning talking about this phrase, with fear and great joy. We, we understand the joy part, and we'll come back to that in a minute, but why is it talking about fear? Is there, have you ever stopped with that? They've just found out he's risen from the grave. They're on his side. Why are they dealing with fear right now? And Mark's account is more explicit than this. It says they left, the women left with, with uh, trembling, trembling and bewilderment. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I mean, that is, that's very afraid, right? They, they were dealing with some, some strong, fearful emotions here. I want to just explore this with you for a minute and ask, why? Why would they be afraid on resurrection morning? One reason may be, that they were afraid that it wasn't true. Now, I know they've just seen an angel, right? But it's possible to doubt a lot of things. There are all kinds of ways to doubt and to fear. And I can't help but wonder when it says they were afraid, if maybe they were so thrilled to get this announcement, so thrilled to see that it might be true, but they couldn't stop, help but stop and wonder, when's the other shoe going to drop? What if we're dreaming what if this isn't all real? What if we're going to find out that, yes, he, he did rise, but they killed him again? What if it's just not true? Can I say to you that uh, that kind of fear is okay? And that kind of doubt is okay? We don't want to live there forever. But it's actually very natural to have those kinds of feelings especially when you realize how good things are, how great the announcement is. It's, it's fairly natural to doubt something that you, see is, you think is so good, it's unbelievable. And Jesus has been welcoming doubters to his table for a long, long time now. If you're here today as a doubter, I want to welcome you. I want to say Jesus is not threatened by that. We're not threatened by that. You're welcome to come here with your doubts, even if you've been a Christian a long time. I'm one who struggled with doubts and fears myself in a lot of ways, and uh, Jesus can handle that. You're welcome to bring your doubts to him. In fact, there's this passage that I think it gets mistranslated a lot. I've got it up here for you. Later in this chapter, after the disciples go to meet Jesus, the 11 go to meet him at the mountain in Galilee where he directed them. And when they saw him, it says they worshiped him. And then almost every translation you find says, but some doubted. Now, I don't think that's the right translation. You could just as easily translate that, and they doubted. And they doubted. You see, what we learned from that text is that you can worship while you're doubting. And they were doing it. And I think that just translators are or have this built-in mechanism into them, just like we do in the church state. No, you're not supposed to have doubts. So let's say, but some doubted, and the others worshipped. <laughs> that's, not, that's not it, though. It's that they, they worshipped and they doubted. 
They were encountering something that was hard for them. They were like, what? They didn't have categories for this. And they were struggling with it. And yet they still were in the presence of Jesus and they knew they were going to worship him. I want to invite you today, if you're here as a doubter, to still worship the Lord. It may be that in worship you find you overcome your doubts. If you stand back at a distance forever until you get all the ducks in a row, until you have perfect understanding and you have no more doubts or fears, you may not ever start worshiping and you may not ever then get to deal with your doubts in worship. They worshiped him even with their doubts. And I can't help but think maybe these women, as they ran away, were afraid it wasn't true. They were afraid, as the old saying goes, it was too good to be true. These women were suddenly aware of how good it might actually be. What? It's really happened? No. See, there's an early church writer who recognized this, this potential problem. The mystery of Christ runs the risk of being disbelieved precisely because it is so incredibly wonderful. So please don't come and brag to me that you've never had a doubt. I mean, maybe out of some spiritual gift, some way God has blessed you, you haven't. But, but uh, in general, people are going to doubt, and they're going to doubt precisely because they say, man, if you really get it, if you really get what's being offered to you, you're going to say, can I really buy that? Is that really true? These women left afraid, perhaps because they were asking that very question. But you know what else? I wonder if they, I wonder if they were fearing because their lives were in danger. You understand why they needed to meet in Galilee? They could get killed in Jerusalem. They set up this clandestine meeting in Galilee. Sometimes we we talk about the resurrection in a way that says, well, it's given to us so we can feel safe. In one sense, that's true. In one sense, in an ultimate sense, it's true. But, but do you realize that these women and the disciples were what, much safer before Jesus' resurrection and before they knew about it? Because when they found out about it, they became a threat. They became a threat to the powers. They became a threat to the devil himself because of the resurrection. From the very beginning, the resurrection has not been taking people out of danger. It's been thrusting people into danger. And I wonder if sometimes we have forgotten what it is we're supposed to be involved in. And I wonder if our faith brings so little excitement because we have risked so little upon it. This did not occur to the original women and disciples. They knew that when they received that message, it was a moment of great joy and power, but it was one that put their lives at risk. And Jesus has been doing that same thing for people throughout history. And in one sense, it comes and it takes away all fear in an ultimate sense. But in another sense, it says, hey, you may be in danger now. 
You see, what, what, we, what we've done a lot of times in a nominally Christian culture is we adopt a lullaby faith, a faith that can sing us to sleep, but it does not help us when we need to wake up. When there's work to be done, when there's a gospel to be preached, when souls are dying, when the world is suffering, and this message is the answer. And God needs people to go out and live it and preach it and sacrifice for it. And our faith may make us quiet and at ease, but it can't give us the adrenaline rush that we need. Because we've learned to take out a no-risk loan. We've learned to say, well, we just, we're just going to keep on going to church, keep on saying our prayers, go along, and hope it works out in the end. That song I quoted to you, well, hold on just a second, I'm going to get to that in a second. Have you ever decided to risk anything because you know the resurrection is true? Or have you decided to insulate yourself in a bubble of safety and live out your days largely like the average American lives them out and hope for good things in the end? What if you put on the line because the resurrection is true? Several years back, uh, my mother-in-law, Donna, she took in a troubled teenager into her home whose parents had basically abandoned him. And uh, a Christian leader, in a way, tried to stop it from happening. He called me up personally, and I appreciated his concern for Donna, but basically uh, he was afraid. And he said, you know, this, this kid, we don't know what he might do. He may not be stable. He has major problems. Well, I talked to Donna about that. She wasn't worried about it. She took him in, changed his life. <laughs> changed his life today and gave him an encounter with Christ that he never could have had outside of that. Now, Cole's totally messed up because of it. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. See, sometimes we just got to do things that seem a little bit risky. And usually we find out that we're safe in the end. Sometimes we find out, whoops, we weren't. And we have to deal with the consequences. And I'm not saying we should be unwise, okay? But sometimes fear dresses up like wisdom. You know that? And wisdom looks different in light of the resurrection of Jesus. We are people who are called to step out in light of the powerful resurrection of Christ. God has acted in our world and he's called us then to act differently now. To live in a different world. Maybe they were afraid. 
because of the sheer magnificence of this event. They were confused. That's, that's what the text says in Mark. They were, they, they were seized, it says, by trembling. You ever been in a situation where you're like this? The Bible says they were seized by trembling and bewilderment or astonishment. They just, their mind was blown. And their hearts were pounding so hard. And it was, it was beyond them. Sometimes we get, we get afraid just because we're confused. Just because this isn't, this isn't normal life anymore. Everything's got to change because of this. This is what those women were surely experiencing at the tomb. And I want to say to you, if, if you've never been confused or disoriented or astounded by the resurrection, maybe you've never really believed it. Because it is a mind-blowing reality. I mean, not just believe that somebody else believed it, but believe it yourself. It will confound us. That song I quoted a minute ago, Were You There? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they buried him? All that. Were you there when he rose up from the grave? It says, sometimes it causes me to tremble. You don't tremble at something that you take for granted. Something that's just ordinary. Please listen to me. Maybe it's not true. But if it is true, it can never be ordinary. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, Life cannot go on as normal for any of us. If the resurrection is true, it cannot be one in, in just a, a list of things that we're thinking about or one of the things we want to study one day, one of the things we want to get around to thinking about and doing something about one day. If the resurrection is true, our lives have to change. We have settled far too often in the church for the ordinary, when the whole faith we're in on started with the extraordinary. We have to realize what's possible. We have to stop and say, if that's true, what else is true? What does that mean for me? What does it mean for the church? I wish that God would bewilder his people again. I wish that he would lead us by the hand of the angel into the tomb and let us look at that empty grave and lead us out again with the fear and astonishment and excitement that is appropriate to that kind of revelation. You know, we talk a lot about what we need to do as a church, what do we need to, to make certain things happen so that we can, we can grow. What if we just need to believe the gospel? What would happen if the whole church believed the whole gospel? What if we decided that that's really true, that it really happened, and we can know it, we can know it intellectually? I'm telling you, I've spent a lot of time in this. The intellectual arguments are strong, but there's more to know than that. We can know it in experience. 
We can know it all through the way we're made to know. (laughs) And what if we just started really believing the gospel? What would happen to the people of God? We need to learn to answer the questions of our life with relate, by relating it to the truth of the resurrected Jesus. Otherwise, our answers should look dumb to people. Why'd you take that job? It doesn't pay you as much money so that you can be involved in missionary work. Just for example. You know why? Christ is risen from the dead. Why are you living there instead of there? It's nicer over there, but you're serving the poor over there. Why are you doing that? Because Christ is risen from the dead. These are how we answer questions. Because we're astounded and confounded by the revelation of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lived and died and rose again. That's how we answer questions. We know that different things are possible. We know that Christians throughout history have been called to renounce things, sometimes to live in poverty. Not everybody, okay? Some people, because Christ is risen from the dead. People have been called to preach in foreign lands, to live where things are dangerous. They're still doing it today all over the place. Why? Because Christ is risen from the dead. People have been called to disappoint their families and their friends and their neighbors, and you know why? Christ is risen from the dead. And you're called into it too. In one way or another, God needs people living out their life at normal jobs, but living them out in a radically different kind of way. And let me tell you, God did not raise his son from the dead and reveal that to you so you could go on living your normal, average, everyday life. We are in on something life-changing. Some of you are going to be called into things right now that you don't even know. Let me speak to the kids for just a minute. I love how you guys sit up here and pay such good attention. One day God's going to call some of you, I I would bet money on it, one day God's going to call some of you into the mission field. And it's going to be a little bit scary. And I want to tell you, go, because Christ is risen from the dead. One day he may call some of you. Olivia and I talk about this with our our girls, or at least I've talked about it. (laughs) Maybe not her. But I I know I've talked about them going into the mission field before. And I know that one day very possibly God's going to call them, and what I always say is I'm going to (laughs) cry. But I'm going to be thankful because I will know I have done what I was meant to do as a parent. I have conveyed to them that Christ is risen from the dead. One day God may call you guys into church work. He may call you guys into jobs that people don't understand. And you go because Christ is risen from the grave. Okay, let me, let me move on here and just say this. I'm really glad this text says that they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, not with joy and great fear. 
And there is a difference. See, the guards were not on Jesus' team. And when they encountered him, they were paralyzed by fear. The women were on Jesus' team. And you notice what he says to them? Fear not, don't be afraid, for I know you're seeking Jesus. Don't worry about it, you're fine. That didn't mean it took away all the kind of, uh, we might say, the, the fear that is appropriate in terms of the vastness of God. But it took away the fear of punishment, or it's meant to. The fear that somehow uh, we are on the wrong side of things and we need to watch out. Right? That's what Steve conveyed so well for us earlier. When the angel, or when Jesus appeared to them, the first thing he tells them is, Don't be afraid. They don't need to be afraid of him. They're not fearing the, the punishment that could come. They might have thought that, you know, oh, man, we forsook him. We abandoned him. What, what should we do? Don't be afraid. I'm on your side. You're on my side. And I'm so glad, then, that the Christian faith is one that calls us not into great fear, but into great joy. And let me say to you this morning, if you have gotten hold of a Christianity that only has some joy but great fear, you've gotten hold of the wrong end of the stick. If you are in a Christianity that leaves you trembling with fear, paralyzed like the guards, rather than going out to proclaim like the women, you've gone astray in your faith. Perhaps somebody never conveyed to you the truth as it should be proclaimed. We are not in a religion of somber sadness, and trembling fear, at least not in that sense we're talking about right now. We tremble before the Almighty God, like I've said, His vastness and greatness. But we're not, perfect love drives out the fear of punishment, as John tells us. And we go out with joy, with great joy. You know, it was fear that had Jesus crucified. Oh, the Romans are going to come and take away our place and our nation. And you ever wonder why that even when the guards come back, like Steve showed us this morning, and the people start giving out money <laughs> to, to silence them, you ever wonder why the Jewish leaders didn't repent then? Why, I mean, why not just say, boy, we got it wrong? You know what I think? They were afraid. I mean, get, think about it. We just killed him. If he's alive, we're in big trouble. They didn't understand the resurrection. They didn't understand that, they, that Jesus had died because of them, but he had also died for them. And so they didn't know what was possible. Fear kept them in bondage. They couldn't see that Jesus, as we're told in Romans, was raised for our justification, even for the people who killed him. He died and rose for them. And so they couldn't receive the joy. I want to invite you today, if you felt like the outsider, if you felt like one who can't come close to Jesus because of your guilt, because, in a sense, you think so much about putting him on the cross that you can't think about his welcome after the resurrection, I want to invite you to come close today. I want to invite you to know that Jesus receives you. You see, we read in the book of Acts that some of the Jewish leaders, they heard the gospel 
and they believed it and they obeyed it. Do you know in heaven, I wonder if in heaven we're going to meet some of those people who were giving out the money to keep the soldiers quiet. Because eventually they heard the good news and they learned it was even for them. Let me tell you, it's even for you. And that should be an understanding of great joy. Whatever else the resurrection does, it launches us into a world of great joy. Do you know that? Do you know that you're invited to rejoice in the Christian faith? I was uh, in class this week. Uh, I'm, I'm taking a class on my friend Billy Abraham who died last week. They're, they're doing a class on his, his uh, works at SMU. And so I go over Monday to this class. And uh, Billy was a really happy person. And the guest lecturer this week said they called him a happy warrior. He was always uh, doing battle with people intellectually, but he was happy and friends with the people he, he argued with. And uh, the guy who was lecturing said, Billy always seemed to be astounded by how great his life was. But get this, he said, even though it seemed to be worse than a lot of people's, even though he suffered more than a lot of people did. And you see, what the resurrection invites us into is not to have perfect circumstances. Not that everything's always good, but it still invites us, in light of the powerful revelation of God, it invites us to say, we're astounded by how great our life is. How great it's going to end up. Because the very worst thing in human history has already been conquered and undone. And as uh, J.R.R. Tolkien said a long time ago, everything sad is coming untrue. There's a lot of sad stuff, but the sad stuff's coming untrue. And we know that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you're invited to be happy. I tell jokes. People who know me know that I, I like to laugh a lot and I tell a lot of jokes. But do you know why I tell jokes? Because I'm a Christian. That's why. Sometimes I push the boundaries a little bit. I really do. And uh, I hope I don't go, you know, I'm, I'm, I try not to be insensitive or ugly or hurtful to anybody, okay? I always tell my girls it's more important to be kind than it is to be funny. That's the caveat. Um, but with that in place, I do push the boundaries. A, a few months ago, I had a great aunt who died. Um, and uh, so her husband died a couple years ago. His name's to me, was Uncle Roy. This is Aunt Nancy who died. And uh, this was a strange situation. I'm not worried that anybody's going to see this who would be offended. So uh, uh, it was a strange situation because uh, Uncle Roy, they were, you'd have to know him, but they were funny. And uh, I, I loved Uncle Roy. He and I got close towards the end of his life. But uh, they, they uh, divorced, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And then uh, years later, they got back together, but they didn't remarry. They just moved back into the house together. It's a strange, awkward situation, and nobody really knew what to do with it. I mean, they, what are they? You know, and, uh, uh, so anyway, Uncle Roy died a couple years ago. Aunt Nancy died a few months ago. And uh, I was on a family text with one friend, my brothers, my parents, and a friend on this text. They sent a text saying, oh, Aunt Nancy died. And I, initially, I just said, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. But then I thought for a minute, and I said, I hope that uh, she and Uncle Roy have moved back in together one last time. <laughs> and I added, you're not giving in marriage up there anyway. 
Now, you see, some people may say, that's pushing it a little bit around death. I refuse to let death tell me I can't laugh. And do you know why? Because Christ is risen from the dead. Now, I'm not going into, I know there are tragic situations. I'm not trying to minimize genuine grief that needs to happen or laugh at people's grief. Please understand I'm not doing that. But we are people who do smile and laugh when other people don't. Do you know why? Because Christ is risen from the dead. We do not sorrow as others who have no hope. And we laugh even when death occurs. Years ago, I had a cousin who died. He was a heavy smoker. And my brother Brad, we laugh a lot together he, just, he called me and he said, yeah, he's going to that great smoking section in the sky. <laughs> I push boundaries a little bit because Christ is risen from the dead. And we are caught up in a world of great joy. Do not doubt it. The world around you presents all kinds of reasons to be sad, to despair, to, to dread the future, when you come face to face with the risen Christ, that's where you stop all that. I'm not saying it never occurs again or there aren't things to work through, but at least in formal terms, that's where it stops. And we say we are people of joy now, and we're going to learn joy in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul said, writing from prison. Rejoice in the Lord, and again, I'll say rejoice. I'm almost done here, so just stay with me just a little bit more. You see, some of you have tried to live out a faith where you think God's concerned with your obedience, but he has no concern with your joy. And so then you think it's kind of like you out here trying to do stuff and God over here watching to see if you'll do it. And I want you to know that was never what the Christian faith was. And when you try to live it that way, you don't have enough joy to sustain your obedience. And what you end up doing a lot of times is you shrink down the rules that you're supposed to keep to the ones you can try to handle. Like I go to church. I try to be nice. I try to stop flipping people off while I drive. <laughs> and that's good, okay? Stop it. But that's not resurrection life. That's not the joy of Christ taking over your life. We need the joy of Christ to be obedient. And then we find what people have always known, people of faith, that the law of the Lord is life. The resurrection of Jesus calls us into that joy. And we're learning then what's possible. Try to find me an example. If you doubt that, try to find me an example somewhere in the Bible where people are converted into sadness. Go read the book of Acts and find an example where people say, oh, man, i got to be baptized. <laughs> right. I dare you to go, go read your Bible and find that. That's never been the message that's been given to us. We're called into joy. Guess what? Do you know that God created joy? I get so tired of people criticizing Christians, saying, oh, well, they just want to make us obey the rules. If Christians, now, there are distortions of Christianity. I get it, okay? Bad distortions out there. But if Christians are preaching the true faith, what they're preaching is what everybody wants. 
under God. The problem is we've gotten so confused about what it is, the way to get to where we want. (laughs) How you get to joy, how you get to life. We don't know how to do it anymore. People have lied to us and been so confused about it. And we forget that we have a creator who made joy, (laughs) who created pleasure, who created good things, who created our ability to enjoy breakfast together. (laughs) That didn't come from us. Came from him. We got to relearn what's possible in terms of joy. And then we relearn what's possible in terms of obedience. We relearn what's possible in terms of life. Rocky and I were talking this week, and he just told me that when when Lori first came to church here about a year ago, he he told me he just thought it wasn't going to (laughs) last. Yeah, he just thought, well, it's just a fling, you know, just a a part time thing, and she'll, she'll get over it. See, Rocky didn't know what was possible. He didn't know that the resurrection life had come into contact with Lori. And she had come into contact with it would be a better way to put it. And they will tell you how life is different now because of that power in their lives. I know of multiple couples in this room whose marriages were pretty much done. Who thought, well, it's probably over. And they're in this room right now. It's not mine to share, but they're in this room right now, and they're happily married. And you know why? Christ is risen from the dead. Amen. He'll do it for you too. He'll do it for you too. Let me finish up here. We finally get Jesus appearing after they've left the tomb. They're running away. Jesus shows up to them. What's he going to say? What profound statement is he going to use to introduce himself? How's he going to show up to them? Here's what he says. Greetings. That's what he says. I guarantee you he said it with a smile. It's not in the Bible, but I know Jesus. He's showing up to them. He knows what they're about to experience. He just says greetings. You see, that's a word of welcome. It wasn't reprimand, it was welcome. And then you watch what they do. They came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. Many times they had been face to face with him. Perhaps he had patted them on the shoulder, gave them a hug. John leaned on his chest at the, at the table. But when they encountered the resurrection Jesus, they knew that his feet was the appropriate place for them to be. And so they bowed down before him and they grabbed his feet. And they worshipped him. May I say to you today that this is no ordinary time here. You're invited to bow before the Lord Jesus and to worship him. See, I believe worship happens, in a sense, at the intersection of fear and joy. C.S. Lewis grasped this so well, he refused to dumb down Aslan in his his books, uh, if you've you've read them. He refused to make him tame. And uh, at one point, Aslan encounters some of the, the people, and it says 
they were as glad, this may not be an exact quote, but it's something like this. They were as glad, Aslan turned and looked at them and said, they were as glad as anyone could be who's afraid. <laughs> and they were as afraid as anyone can be who is glad. <laughs> they knew they were in the presence of something far beyond them. Do you know that this morning? This is not a human project. You're not in on something that human beings dreamed up. It really happened. God has spoken and revealed himself. And you may not understand it all yet. You may even have some doubts right now. But the appropriate response is worship. Bowing before the risen Lord Jesus. Can you receive the welcome of Jesus this morning? Praise team, would y'all go ahead and come on up? Can you see him on the road this morning looking at you and saying greetings? <laughs> How will you respond right now? How will you respond to this table right now? Knowing that the resurrected Jesus lives and rules and reigns right here. Lord, take it, take our lives and let them be consecrated to you right now, knowing that you live forever making intercessions for us. Thank you, thank you. Amen.